hands right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 I love and appreciate each and every one of you. To whoever and all that had a hand in the honor that you showed our pastoral staff, thank you for that. Thank you to Brother O'Daniels, Sister Angie, for those words, to the Shrifts, for uh, honoring Brother and Sister Lee, and Justin Lowe sold himself pretty short. I'm going to tell you, between our youth group, our music, our children, this pastoral staff absolutely rocks, and we love and appreciate each one of y'all. His title is elder, which he hates, bishop, whatever you want to use. And it's kind of like, uh, he doesn't really have a title, but I'm going to tell you the, the work that my parents do as in, in a bishop role, if you will, in this church, gives this church a supreme confidence to know that we follow the word of God. And I thank my dad, my mother, for what they bring to the table. It takes a team, and I see that. We're glad you're here. You can be seated if you'd like. Um, I don't need to preach real long, so we, we got time. But I do believe that in the midst of all of this, I still want God to have his way. Can we do that? There's still a salvation moment for someone here today. There's still a deliverance from somebody here today. And I just know that God, he honors and he loves and he's okay with what y'all have done throughout this service, but we're going to give him an opportunity to speak through his word. And, uh, but we're going to, we're going to do it, take some time. Have you ever heard this statement? They just don't make them like they used to. They just don't make them like they used to. I've heard that a lot. I'm 43 years old, but I'm an old soul. I feel a lot older than 43. I, I feel like I would do really well. I'd be about 65 years old. That's, that's how it is. I'm, I, I went to uh, a memorial get-together yesterday, uh, and, and I spent a lot of time talking about their eight-track player that still worked because that's what fascinated me in their house was they had an eight-track player. I remember eight tracks. I'm sure. What what year was the old yellow Ford, Dad? 71? 70? So so Dad had a 70 Ford uh, F100, I think it was, and uh, it had an eight-track. And so while that was a couple years before I was born, but I remember it after, uh, and, and probably some of my earliest recollections of music outside of church, or I guess, I don't even know that I remember music on the radio. We listened to KMOX a lot. But I remember eight tracks, and I remember records. Dad, a couple years ago, gave me his box of records, and in it are two records from a quartet that he used to sing with, uh, the New Life Quartet from the Kilgore's Church, Life Tabernacle in Houston, Texas. And those two records 
are, are what I remember of all the music. As a, that, that's like my first memories of music as a child are those two records. And I can play them. In fact, this morning I was playing one in my office. Um, but, but they just don't make them like they used to. Or have you ever heard this statement? Things just don't last as long as they used to. Anybody 50 years or older you've ever said that before? Things just don't last like they used to last. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, it just, I, I don't understand it, but um, those of you that, that have grown up prior to the cell phones, how many cell phones have you owned? Well, well let me ask you this. Your grandparents, how many phones do you remember them having? One. Now, my grandparents, I, I remember three phones. They had the old bake light. I don't even know how to describe it. You know, the phone with the rotary dial? Not the antique rotary, but just that bake light plastic phone. I remember that vividly. And then I remember they had one of the very first that I could recall cordless phones. And then I do remember when that cordless phone either died or someone felt sorry and bought them a new cordless phone. I do remember they never set up their answering machine. It didn't work. And later on in life, my dad and, brother, and his brother got them a cell phone, the old flip phone, but they never turned it on because it would waste electricity. So they only turned it on when they needed to use the cell phone. And then, so, so, so in, in a sense, I remember four phones that my grandparents had in their whole life. How many cell phones, how many phones have you owned now? How many of you are on those programs where you get a new phone every year? Anybody want to be brave enough to show it? Uh-huh. Yeah. Because they, they just don't make them like they... They used to, when, when I, was, I was 16 years old, 15 years old, and mom and dad got a cell phone. It wasn't the very first one, the one that looked like you were calling in an airstrike in Vietnam. It wasn't quite that bad. But it was a brick. And I remember thinking I was so cool because every once in a while, if I went out, they would let me take that cell phone and I could hang that cell phone on my belt. I had to wear suspenders because it would pull my pants down. But I was cool and I wanted everybody to know I had a cell phone. Nights and weekends were free. Other than that, we had 50 minutes to last the whole uh, uh, month. And you could not use those 50 minutes. I don't care if your leg was falling off. Do not use those minutes. From there, we, I remember, I don't remember what year it was, but, but dad and mom, it was a used car. They bought it from, from a pastor, a preacher, but we had a, a, a lipstick red Lincoln Continental with a white rag top. And when you opened the console in the middle, there was a phone in the car. I was dating my wife at that point, and, and that was the one time I would drive that car because it was so cool. You look like you're in a limousine. It was that big, too. But you would drive up, and, and, and at that point, we, mom and dad, they were too cheap. They didn't pay to get the phone connected, but that didn't matter because I'd drive down the road. <laughs> it 
If you've lived life long enough, you've noticed that phones are going, that they're circular. When I was a teenager, phones got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. I had a phone that was literally the size of a credit card and about three times the thickness of a credit card, and you would hold it like this. Now phones are going back to being gigantic iPads that you hold with two hands, but uh, you, you had those, and, 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 and I had them. I, I have, I, I've lost track of how many phones I've had. I, I had the, 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 the old phones. I got into the flip phones. I had the motor. Any, any of you remember the, what was it, the Motorola Starlink or something like that? Uh, and then the Razor. And then I got into the, the Palm Pilots, and I had every Palm Pilot that ever came out, plus the Palm Pilot phone. And I mean, I had it all because it just seems like things don't last as much as they used to. Refrigerators have gone high tech. I saw something the other day where they've got a refrigerator that's got some sort of eye inside the refrigerator that scans what's in your refrigerator and when you get low on something, it will automatically call or do something with Amazon or, the, or, or, the, or, or Walmart and you'll, it, it will order what you need as it goes. Refrigerators now, you don't just buy a refrigerator, you buy a whole entertainment system. They've got TV screens in the middle of them, talking to the singletons right now. They, you, you, you can write notes on them. It's, it, they got everything you want. They're smart, but they just don't last. Everything you buy right now, they want to sell you an extended warranty. Partly because they want the money. But it could be the fact they just don't seem to work. But I have something right here that works. Now you don't find those in Walmart or Lowe's or Home Depot or... No, this one... This one came out of a house. Brother Dwayne Andrews is working on a project, and part of the project is to tear down an old house. And when you walked into the house, it looked like it came out of the 1960s and 70s. Orange, burnt orange shag carpet, paneling everywhere, and an entire working kitchen, this beautiful color. And it still keeps things cold, and it works 30 or 40 years later. How many of you have a refrigerator that's 30 or 40 years old? A few of you. How many of your refrigerators less than five years old? A little bit more. They just don't make them like they used to. Here's why. In 1924, American car manufacturers had reached the point where cars had kind of saturated the market. Those that could afford them, those that wanted them, they pretty much had a car. But in 1932, I'm sorry, 1924, Alfred P. Sloan Jr. was a General Motors executive, and he suggested something that just took the car manufacturing world by storm. He said, every year, let's change the look of the car so that people will want to buy the next newest car. Up 
till then, the Model T hadn't changed. It was a Model T, no matter what it was. It was a Model A, no matter what it was. But in 1924, they introduced this, that, that we're going to change the look of the car, maybe change a few features of the car to convince car owners that they needed a new car. The car they had worked just fine. But you need a new car. In 1932, during the Great Depression, a man by the name of Bernard London was an American real estate broker, and he wrote a pamphlet in the middle of the Great Depression called Ending the Depression Through Planned Obsolescence. That's what I want to preach on today, planned obsolescence. In essence, the government would impose legal obsolescence on personal use items to stimulate and perpetuate purchasing. Let me put it like this. Gentlemen, if you wanted to shave, you used to just buy a straight razor. It was basically a knife that was honed to a very fine edge. And unless you used it and honed it so much that it it broke, it lasted you a lifetime. And then they changed to the safety razors. And you had the same handle and you had all of that, but you would just put a a, a cheaper uh, 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 razor in it. And then pretty soon they changed to basically what we would call today single-use razors. We use them a little bit more. But you buy a plastic razor, you throw the plastic razor away. That's planned obsolescence because instead of buying one really nice straight razor that lasts your life, now every week or every two weeks you're buying a new razor. It's planned obsolescence. It's, It's the fact that in 1903, that's when Gillette introduced the safety razor. Brooke Steffens. An American industrial designer gave a lecture in 1954 at a conference in Minneapolis where he used that title, Planned Obsolescence. And I want you to listen to this definition. This is how he defined planned obsolescence. It's instilling in a buyer the desire to own something a little newer, a little better, and a little sooner than what is necessary. In 1960, cultural critic Vance Packard published The Waste Makers where he decried the systematic attempt of businesses to make us wasteful, debt-ridden, and uh, permanently discontented. And he broke down planned obsolescence into two categories, the obsolescence of desirability and the obsolescence of function. There are some things that just no longer work. You can't use Internet Explorer anymore because they functioned it out. They they got rid of it, and so now they want you to get Google Chrome or they want you to get Bing or they want you to get Microsoft Edge. Sometimes they'll just stop manufacturing something, so you have to buy something new. But the other one is that obsolescence of desirability because those of you who are brave enough to say you get a new phone every year, your phone works just fine. The camera works just fine. You haven't even used every function on that. But because Apple comes out with something that looks a little different, you crave it, the obsolescence of desirability. My old doesn't get me going like it used to get me going. It's obsolescence is the, uh, of desirability is the marketer's attempt to wear out a product in the owner's mind. But I'm not here to talk to you about economics, although it's fun. I'm not here to teach you about fridges or cell phones. But I would tell you in James chapter 1 and verse 14, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, 
and sin, when it is finished, has bring, bringeth forth death. And as true as that verse is, sin doesn't necessarily bring forth instant death, but it births regret, it births shame, it births uh, uh, other consequences. So why in the world would we keep on sinning when the wages of sin is death? It's because Satan is the greatest economics professor of all time, and he has introduced into the concept of sin planned obsolescence. It's Hebrews 12.25 that gives us insight when it speaks of fleeting pleasures of sin for a season. Don't get me wrong. There are pleasures when you sin. It, I, I could talk to you about the dopamine levels that go up when you sin. I could talk about pleasures, but it's fleeting pleasures. Because Satan has built into the human psyche the understanding of planned obsolescence. The pleasures are there all the same. They just don't last like they used to. So last year on June the 6th, 2021, I preached to you behind this pulpit on the insatiable appetite of sin. That the drink doesn't stop with one drink. That the drugs, you can't just do it one time and be okay. That the illicit affairs, that the porn, that the lust, the material covetedness of possessions, that greed and money and the affairs never seem to satisfy You'll do good for a while and then it'll come out with something new and your body craves it and your soul craves it and your body wants it. Sin never satisfies because Satan has introduced into humanity planned obsolescence. That's why addictions get so, it grabs on so hard because it doesn't fix, your fix doesn't last. I have not seen it yet with my own eyes. If I continue, as they mention, as a police chaplain, I know it's going to happen. But nowadays, with the heroin epidemics and the fentanyl epidemics, they can do that. They'll go out. They can give them a drug called Narcan. Narcan blocks the chemical receptor in the brain and will take them from a high, basically a comatose state, until they come back. But the police officers have told me many, many times the mo they, they can be clinically dead because of the drugs that they've taken. But they can hit that Narcan, and if, if they can, Narcan, and if they can get it uh, before it's too late. We have watched them time and time again come out of that state where they were basically dead and get mad at the officer because their high is gone. Because sin never satisfies. Ask King David. He felt with the lustful thoughts while he was up there on the top of his house. The lustful thought led him very quickly into adultery, but even that was not enough. It led him to lying, and pretty soon it led him to basically murdering Uriah, Eve had everything she wanted in the Garden of Eden, but she kept trying to gratify her desires. James chapter 1 and verse 14, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desires, and the de desire when it's conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it's fully grown gives birth to death. I used verses last year in that sermon in 2 Peter Chapter 2 and verse 14, their eyes are full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They always want more. Or Proverbs 27, 20, Hail, Sheol and Abdon are never satisfied. And never satisfied are the eyes of man. Sin 
doesn't satisfy like it used to, so you've got to find the next best thing. Sin's constantly throwing out new product upgrades. Sin's constantly putting out this big show where they're going to introduce the next best thing in sin because sin has built in planned obsolescence. It's never enough. And even when you think you've gone the whole gauntlet and you've tried it all, sin reinvents itself. The Bible tells us in several different places and locations in the Bible that we'll invent new ways to sin because it never satisfies. And so we, not that I'm equating cell phones and sin, but we keep buying the next big phone. We keep buying the next thing that looks good. And we get a new car when you don't need a new car. But then you go to things like this. It may not be shiny. My, my, my mom says we ought to auction it off for Mother's Memorial. But I don't want to lose it. Now, my, I don't know where my wife wants it, but this is going to look real good in my garage. Because it was free and it works. And every once in a while... I may get my eyes attracted to the shiny new Samsung refrigerator that talks to you and brings you food when you ask for it. But there's just something about, at the end of the day, there's only one thing I want that refrigerator to really do. Keep my food cold. And keep ice frozen. And don't get the two mixed up. And in a day and age where the new looks good, the old still works. And in a day and age when sin keeps reinventing itself, I go back to there's one thing. The blood still works. The blood hasn't changed. The blood hasn't gone out of style. The blood looks the same 2,000 years ago as it does right now. And it does exactly what it was designed to do. The blood still works. 1 Peter 1.18 says that you and I are redeemed by that precious blood, that spotless blood, if you will, that old-fashioned blood, it still works. Sin, you can keep inventing yourself. Sin, you can keep coming up with new things, but the blood still works. Let me remind you, because i got to give you some Bible verses in order for you to know it was a sermon. But I could tell you in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, that when Jesus appeared as that high priest of good things to come, and he entered once and for all behind the veil, he didn't come leading a cow. He didn't come leading a lamb. He didn't come leading a goat. Instead, he he brought, rather, he brought his own blood. It was not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, he secured an eternal redemption. Can I just tell you today, in the middle of the end of October 2022, the blood still works. I could bring you verses like uh, Rome or uh, Hebrews 10:10, 10, 10, and it says that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. 
I'm not looking for a product upgrade for my salvation. I'm not looking for some church to tell me the next best thing that's going to help me get to heaven. It was there on that Calvary. It was there when he spread his arms wide. It was there when he let the blood flow. It was there when he took his last breath and he died. That blood still works. I would take you to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12 when he says, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. He only did it one time. It's a one-time purchase. You ever have a salesman tell you that? If you buy this, it's the last one you'll ever need. That's the one salesman is when Jesus said, this is the last salvation you'll ever need that blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary I'm telling you that's where it matters that precious blood that baptism in Jesus name that we have that 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 name is enough that baptism is enough the blood of Jesus applied to your life is enough one baptism for all that's why we don't preach being rebaptized If you were baptized in the name of Jesus, if you were baptized and you knew what you were doing, now someone grabbed you up and baptized you without your permission, we may need to talk about that. But if you willingly went into the waters of baptism, if you went in the name of Jesus Christ in faith believing, that one baptism is enough even if you sin again. I have rebaptized people before, but normally it's because I'm pulling back from a verse where it says, Make your calling and your election sure. And if you need to be rebaptized so you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you were baptized in Jesus' name and the blood, I'll gladly rebaptize you. But listen to me if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, that's all you'll ever need. If you were filled with the Holy Ghost, that's all you'll ever need. The blood still works. I could tell you today that we could talk about the ultimate product launch. It's not nearly the same. I, I've lived nowadays, they, the phones, they kind of look the same, what they do. And I've got a brand new phone, so I'm as guilty as all y'all. Here, here, here's how they do with the new phones now. They just put another camera on the back. My phone's got like five cameras. So pretty soon, it's just going to be a bunch of cameras right here. But I I have lived long enough to remember when Steve Jobs walked out and he had the first iPod. And it took the world by storm. And people were ready. I remember when he said, we're going to launch the next phone. And I mean, everybody waited with bated breath to see what it was going to be. I've I've, I've seen and and even uh, been a part of some of the online launches and product launches. I've watched... I've never done it because I don't need anything that bad. But I've seen when the PlayStations came out, people would camp outside, literally camp outside in a tent, waiting for the next big thing. But the ultimate product launch was the fact that all the saints of the Old Testament have waited with bated breath for a hill called Calvary. I I don't know if this is exactly how it works. I get that there in the grave. But in my mind, David is holding his breath saying, I think I understand what's about to come. 
They're leading him up there on Golgotha's hill. But in just a moment, everything that I've lived my life in the Old Testament is waiting for this day. The blood's going to flow. The blood of Jesus is going to be shed. That was the ultimate product launch. And that blood has never lost its power. It might not be as cool and clean as those new Samsung refrigerators. But I don't need something cool and clean. I need something that works. Might not be the, the greatest thing to preach on, but I'm going to keep preaching it. I got... I just went back to this morning and looked a few things. I, I preach messages like the blood still works. Preached that about three or four years ago. I preached a message called there's power in the blood. I could preach it today and it would still work. I, I preached about the blood will never lose its power. Two different sermons. Because no matter where I'm at, if I'm in America, or if I'm in Tanzania, or if I'm over in Russia, wherever it may be, I can tell you there's one thing I know. I can preach the blood of Jesus Christ. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. It gives me strength from day to day. It will never lose its power. Would you stand with me for just a moment? Come on, I, I know this has been a, a different service and I thank you for taking time on it. I know that we're going to have some fun and you're going to go eat and, and let's do that. I'm starving. I didn't get any of the good breakfast today. I didn't get a chance to go down there. There's going to be an incredible hymn sing connect group today that I, I can't wait for. Well, Caleb, we ought to sing a few blood songs tonight at that hymn sing. But can I just help you today? There's no sin in your life so great that the blood doesn't work. There's no falling away that you can do. There's no backsliding that you can do. There is nothing in your life that can separate you from the love of God and separate you from the blood of God if you'll just keep believing. The blood still works. And so today, if you're if it's been a long time since you felt the presence of God, if it's been a while since the love of Jesus overwhelmed you, if it's been a while since you repented of your sins and let that forgiving power of Jesus flow in your life, then today let me help you out. This is the greatest moment of your life because the blood still works. 2,000 plus years later, the blood still works. And if you're here today and you've never experienced that, Start by repenting of your sins. By saying, Lord, I'm so sorry that I have lived my life contrary to your word. I've disobeyed your word. I've been rebellious to your word. That's what repentance is. Lord, I don't want to live that way any longer, and I need strength to not live that way. When you begin to repent of your sins, something incredible begins to happen. You're opening yourself up to where the blood can be applied. How do we apply the blood? We apply the blood in the waters of baptism. And when your sins have been washed away, the Bible says you receive his spirit. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And that never goes out of style. 
and it still works. I wonder if you could just raise your hands for a moment. Would you just begin to talk to God? Would you, this sermon's a little bit more of a, uh, of kind of a an encouraging sermon, but but I need you to not take it. I need you to take it past the encouragement, not just to shout about it, but make sure it's applied to your life. Yes, the blood of Jesus still works, but is the blood working in your life? Would you just lift him up? I open altars. I hallow the ground of this sanctuary. Why don't you spend some time in the presence of God? Why don't you let the blood of Jesus be poured over you in the name of Jesus? Still the blood. 